Hi, good afternoon and happy new year. Welcome back to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, CEO of MFJ Media and a contributing writer on CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and in the CIO Leadership Executive Council. We're streaming right now to you live on LinkedIn and our own CIO channel on YouTube. And we welcome any and all of our viewers today to join in this conversation with questions of your own. We've got an editor watching for those and we'll, we'll do our best to pass them along to today's guest, who I'm very pleased to say is Kirk Ball. He is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer of Giant Eagle, Inc. Based in Pittsburgh and privately owned, Giant Eagle employs 34,000 people across its 570 store locations in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, West Virginia, and Indiana. With revenues of around $11 billion a year, this grocery chain was ranked number 39 on Forbes' list of America's largest private companies. Kirk joined Giant Eagle in June of 2020 during those intensely challenging early months of the global pandemic, as grocery retailers and all retailers really were racing to deliver new digital experiences and online buying capabilities for their customers. Before he joined Giant Eagle, Kirk served as the CIO for the Christ Hospital Health Network, a $3 billion integrated healthcare network, which as it happens, he had just been wrapping up the implementation of that healthcare network's own digital customer strategy. And prior to that, Kirk spent 13 years with the Kroger company, most recently as its chief technology officer, where he again was a key player in developing the companies at that time, emerging digital customer strategy. Kirk, welcome, it's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for uh, having me. I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. Yes, sir, me too. Let's jump into, let's go back to the retail grocery industry in 2020 mm -hmm. when you joined. What were what was the driver that brought you to Giant Eagle and what were your marching orders in those early days from your CEO? Well, I had uh, certainly spent a lot of time in the retail grocery space uh, at the Kroger company, which was a wonderful experience mm -hmm. um, and had a wonderful experience at the Christ Hospital Health Network. However, um, I really missed the pace of retail and especially grocery retail. <laughs> uh, and then uh, had an opportunity, I had some folks reach out to me and had uh, indicated to me that Giant Eagle might be looking uh, for a senior leader in the technology space. And uh, I said I'd be interested in talking to them. And uh, the rest, uh, the rest is history. Here I am, right? Yes, indeed. Well, and you were very specifically brought in to get the business digital transformation rolling. Yeah, it was really, uh, in addition to digital transformation, it was really a comprehensive transformation across the across the landscape of technology uh, from things, uh, you know, across different areas such as process opportunities, uh, project opportunities, uh, certainly accelerating the digital transformation, accelerating a back office transformation, mm -hmm. uh, which we're in the midst of, as well as accelerating several key initiatives in our merchandising space and in our uh, supply chain area. So it's, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like we've lit all the candles on a birthday cake all at one time. We have a lot of stuff going on, but, you know, it's been, it's a wonderful experience, wonderful company. And uh, 
we're having a lot of fun. We've got a lot to do, uh, but we're we're so far doing pretty doggone good and getting our our tasks and activities accomplished. Well, and I know we're going to talk a lot about that because as we were preparing for this interview today, we went through all the various projects and things you have going on. And I remember at one point I said to you, "You're so you're basically doing everything all at once." You it, know, sure feels, it sure feels like that, yeah. That's what it feels like, right? Let's talk a little bit about your boss, about the CEO of uh, Giant Eagle, because you pointed out that she realizes what a significant enabler of business technology can be. And while that's certainly going on in every single industry. I don't know if we tend to think of the grocery retail industry as uh, having that level of awareness. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I certainly uh, don't want to, I, I haven't worked with for other CEOs, uh, you know, across the grocery retail landscape. But what I will tell you is as a CEO, she is uh, incredibly uh, brilliant. She's very curious mm -hmm. uh, and she takes a genuine interest in technology and has to recognize the technology uh, is a competitive differentiator mm -hmm. uh, in the industry that we're that we're in, whether it be the ability to personalize a customer's experience, whether it's the ability to create a very rich loyalty uh, program to interact mm -hmm. with customers, whether it's creating technology to be used to drive uh, efficiency and effectiveness for our team members. Uh, or whether it's uh, you know analytic capability. I, I mean I could keep going, but she gets it. And uh, it's it's awesome uh, to work with somebody like that. And uh, so she and the whole executive leadership team have been big supporters uh, in investing in technology uh, for us to really create a competitive differentiation in the marketplace. Okay, let's talk about that. Well, and congratulations on that, because it's just when you have the CEO and the entire leadership team on your side. It's just, it, it's, I guess it's pretty hard to fail and flame out with that kind of support because you've got everybody working together. Yeah, it is. And look, we've worked really, really hard as a technology group to certainly try and walk a mile in our business partner's shoes, understand what kind of objectives they're each trying to accomplish for their particular area of responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, and look, we've committed to them. Look, we're here to help you be successful. Um, and that certainly has gone a long way in uh, deepening our relationships. And so it's, uh, you know, it's really created a, a productive uh, relationship where they certainly support us and help us be successful and vice versa. They know we're there to do that with them. Yeah. And that for them, that's been a bit of a different attitude from the IT group. That was more of a support kind of an almost order taking situation when you got there. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think uh, we we have a lot of great team members. We had a lot of great team, team members when I got there. I think to some degree, maybe the organization had underinvested a bit um, mm -hmm. and I, in, in technology. And I think to some degree, um, you know, we had uh, we had maybe not been as um, mature from a leadership perspective as we needed to be in terms of being proactive and deepening our relationships with our business partners. Mm -hmm. And so that certainly has been an area of focus for us um, yeah. Uh, yeah. over the last two and a half years. Tell us a little bit more about the kind of the size and spread of the company. I mentioned the 570 stores across those several different states, but it's not just grocery retail. You do, you have other lines of business. Talk about those. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, which really from a, you know, consumer perspective gives our consumers opportunities to work across a number of different business models uh, to interact with uh, Giant Eagle. And then we layer a loyalty program across these different business models that allows them to 
uh, basically reap the loyalty rewards for spending, uh, whether it's in fuel or convenience or in grocery or in pharmacy, uh, they get the opportunity to reap the rewards across those different landscapes from a loyalty perspective. So um, we do have a very robust pharmacy business. Um, we have uh, approximately a couple of hundred pharmacies uh, that reside within many of our store, grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, convenience stores and we have, uh, we sell fuel, have a fuel business mm-hmm. that's very robust uh, for all those convenience stores. And then we have a, a growing uh, car wash business that is uh, is doing very, very well. Oh, wow. um, and some of those are on standalone pad sites themselves without being, you know, attached to convenience and fuel yeah. uh, centers. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Let's talk, let's dive in a little bit more to the, the digital business model changes, but also the kind of things that were upgraded or replaced as you got there. I know we've talked about probably everybody has transformed a lot of back office applications, but you are also uh, supporting supply chain and merchandising, running two different ERP systems. Uh, give us kind of a tour of your infrastructure and the sort of changes that you've made to that. Sure. Um I'll try to, it'll be, it would be tough to mention everything. We might be here oh, for the yeah. next couple yeah. of days, but uh, I'll try to hit <laughs> the highlights. Uh, yeah, well, you mentioned we uh, had two uh, ERP initiatives implementations going on simultaneous, simultaneously. One that is really focused on our convenience store business, and that's an implementation of PDI. We're in process. We're about halfway through implementation of Oracle uh, for the enterprise as an ERP initiative. We've implemented financials. We've implemented merchandising foundation. And uh, we'll be getting into uh, implementing procurement for distribution centers and then procurement and order and inventory management for stores uh, later in this year. Uh, in addition to those uh, significant work going on right now as we upgrade our complete really merchandising platform from macro and micro space planning to um, assortment planning to category management to price and promotion planning. So we're in process of putting in uh, several new platforms really across those five different areas. There's two platforms that we're putting in Blue Yonder and Dunhumby. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, so we're in the midst of uh, working through that. Uh, and then from a supply chain perspective, we're reworking our uh, warehouse management and transportation management platform across all of our distribution centers. Uh, so as you can imagine, uh, those are very large, important initiatives. We have to be very, very good in working with our business partners to do uh, an implementation that has virtually no negative impact and has all positive impact. Yeah. Uh, we have to, uh, for lack of better terminology, we have to kind of pave the road as we're driving down it, right? Because these are real-time warehouses we run pretty much just in time. Yeah. Um, and so we have to be able to implement at the same time, not causing any service interruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've implemented uh, the first half of our new loyalty platform. We have another half to go, and that'll be done probably in the April timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, several process improvements. We you know, didn't have an ITIL uh, foundation uh, in the technology space. We've implemented um, an ITIL foundation. We've created a service catalog with service definitions. We now uh, capture the quality of service that we deliver and report on that to the enterprise every month. Uh, we now have a PMO. Uh, our projects were probably delivering about 50% on time and on budget at the time when we when I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're now, I'm proud to say, we're now at about 90%, 90 to 95%. So we're doing, we've significantly improved the quality of project implementation. So okay. there's kind of that process bucket. Um, you know, I've talked about several of the projects and initiatives and, and then clearly, 
uh, you know, a lot of work in the digital space, uh, continuing to enhance our mobile application capability uh, for our different brands, uh, continuing to enhance our uh, website presence, implementation of some personalization capability to really uniquely speak uh, to our individual customers and households yeah. and customize our offerings and our promotions uh, for their taste and preferences. Mm-hmm. So um, we got a little bit, uh, we got a little bit going on. And then, and then obviously, uh, you know, one of the other significant uh, opportunities that we had is right when I joined about two months prior to that, um, we as an enterprise decided to disband our corporate office. Yeah. And and it wasn't disbanded temporarily. It was disbanded permanently. And so we are a completely virtual enterprise and, uh, you know, making sure that we maintain kind of the close knit culture uh, uh-huh. that Giant Eagle had, as well as working to transform our culture, um, maybe from being a little bit of an order taking culture to being one that's proactive um, partnered uh, aggressively, partnered or assertively partnered with our business partners. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, that was quite an interesting opportunity as well. But we've made the transition; it's going really well. Yeah, and well, because I know we're talking to you. You're uh, in Cincinnati today, but you spend a lot of time in the headquarters town, which is Pittsburgh. But you know, there's no longer one great big building with Giant Eagle Incorporated on it. No, not at all. We have a couple of, um, I'll say, open open floor concept um, collaboration spaces in Pittsburgh, and uh, I'll go into town probably once every four to six weeks. But mm-hmm. for the most part, uh, we all work out of our home, and uh, we get together periodically for face-to-face needs. Yeah, um, I do think it's important that you still get a chance to touch face or to touch uh, touch. Uh, uh, be in person face to face and and touch hands and you know shake hands and and smile and see people yeah. in, in person but um yeah i do that about once every 4 to 6 weeks for 2 to 3 days and so we've we found a really good uh combination of a hybrid environment yeah. that allows us to operate effectively well and i I've, I've always thought it's that it's it's not that huge a leap for technology people to make an all remote kind of or a mostly remote situation work because a lot of the work is at the keyboards and in you know now in virtual and video meetings like these but it to have an entire company the sales people the marketing the inventory people the supply chain the warehouses all of that go to that same model um, is that unusual in the grocery industry or are were you leading the way on this uh, as far as I know, uh, from a permanency of uh, work model, um, we are we are pretty unique. Uh, now, obviously, the supply chain folks and our uh, folks that work in grocery stores or team members that work in those two areas, they do have to obviously physically be <clears throat> where the action is happening. But sure. you know, whether it's merchandising or marketing or technology <clears throat> or excuse me, finance or other back office functions. Those are all remote. Uh, you know, I will tell you, I think what it's done a little bit is we, I think we spend a little bit more time in stores uh, periodically because we do use store conference rooms as a way to meet and collaborate when we need to uh, be in, in physical proximity with each other. And so, you know, I, I think it's helped us get out uh, as opposed to being in a corporate office. I think it's helped us get out a little bit more and do meetings in various store locations. And so actually getting out where the real action is and where the yeah. you know, the interaction with the customer occurs. 
Wow. Well, and I want to talk about your IT staffing and the challenges and what you've done there. But before we get to that, I want to ask about the customers. Uh, everybody watching or listening to this, basically everybody we know is a customer of some grocery store somewhere. You know, this That's is right. where we go to get our stuff or we order it from, you know, Instacart or whatever. Um, how have the customer demands or how have the customer interests and reactions to the way things are changing digitally, how have they been keeping pace? And are there areas where the customers essentially lead the way, you know, push organizations into producing more of the kind of things they're after? Yeah, look, I think uh, <clears throat> and I think the advent of the pandemic certainly accelerated the growth and adoption of things like buy online, pick up at store or buy online and deliver to home. Uh, simply for the fact that people didn't want to be in close proximity in a store uh, situation while the pandemic was at its height. Uh, and that certainly caused us to accelerate uh, the landscape and the breadth of offering that we have for what we call curbside, which is our ability to offer to customers uh, the capability to buy online, pick up at store, or have delivery to home after they shop online. Uh, so that clearly accelerated that. We had to uh, mature that offering very, very quickly to handle the scale and scope uh, of that demand. Um, and then clearly, I think, you know, it's it's a continuing trend. I think it's almost table stakes now, but the ability to personalize your digital interaction yeah. uh, with the households and the customers that shop with you. They want meaningful promotional offers. They want meaningful coupons. Uh, they want uh, the loyalty program to be personalized for the way that they interact. Uh, with Giant Eagle. And so, uh, you know, that personalization, we certainly accelerated that as well uh, during the pandemic. And that obviously has continued on, um, as has the volume of, uh, of uh, interaction that we have with customers from a digital uh, perspective. Right. Uh, just over this recent holiday, we had the largest uh, kind of one day and, and one to two week and month uh, volume of uh, curbside orders um, that we've ever had. And wow. so uh, that growth uh, continues. Uh, and, but that, that obviously, you know, we had to, we had to drive uh, scale. We had to drive additional feature function capability mm -hmm. in our technology solutions in order to meet that, you know, rapidly changing customer demand that occurred as a result of the pandemic and has since, um, you know, maintained uh, that volume. Okay, and that's that's a great answer, and that actually leads us very naturally into how in the world did you do this with the people you had? How has your staff changed and expanded? I understand you also have a global capability now with um, uh, in Bangalore that you didn't have before. So talk about your uh, your IT talent, about how it's changed over your tenure as CIO, and what sort of um, what sort of activities you have planned for the coming year? Yeah, sure. Look, I, I think I mentioned a little bit earlier, but when I got there, you know, I recognized we had a lot of good people there already that were very capable. Uh, in many cases, they needed a little bit more investment. Uh, we needed, they needed a little bit more support and encouragement. Mm -hmm. uh, they needed a little bit more empowerment. In addition to that, uh, you know, the pandemic, I think, helped us realize that all of our team members in North America and primarily clustered around the Pittsburgh area uh, remained very productive, if not gained a bit in productivity as we went to uh, a completely remote uh, work uh, situation. I think that really helped um, open the mindset of the organization to say, well, 
whether you're sitting in Pittsburgh or you're sitting in Cincinnati as I do, or whether you're sitting in anywhere on the planet, uh, let's continue to try and expand the areas in which we search for talent. Um, and so we then started uh, very quickly after I joined a journey to open up a global capability center in Bangalore, India. Uh, we partnered up with the company uh, uh, called Answer, A-N-S-R, uh, which is a company that partners with companies from Europe and North America to open up global capability centers. Um, I think they are just getting ready to uh, cross the threshold of their 100th global capability center uh, that they work with companies to, to uh, open. They work with Target, Giant Eagle, Lowe's. Uh, oh, wow. Several Walmart, several other companies, but okay. uh, so we recognize that. Look, there's a dearth of there's there's a wealth of talent um, in in India, and so uh, let's get in that game uh, okay. and let's search for talent, the best talent uh, all over the planet. Mm -hmm. And so that that uh, really you know really enabled us and unleashed the thinking for us to be able to open that global capability center in Bangalore. Now we have. We have about 100 to 125 team members over there. We're searching for more. That that center is going to grow. We wow. still are going to have a rich, robust presence in North America. Mm -hmm. You know, we think, look, uh, it allows us to create a global technology team. I think it, it, you know, it exposes different cultures and different ways of doing technology to each other. I think that enriches that diversity of experience and thought enriches the capability of the whole team. Uh, it allows us to work around the clock more so than just yeah, an eight yeah. to 10 hour day. Right now I can work a 16 to 20 hour day with team members working in both uh, time zones. And, uh, you know, I, I, I probably am gonna not have these figures correctly, uh, exactly correct, but, you know, I, I think there's something on the order of, of an order of magnitude, the number of technology graduates that come out of India on a per uh, annual basis uh, versus the total number of technology graduates that come out of the U.S. annually. Yeah. So uh, just statistically, it tells you there's got to be a lot of great talent over there. So let's expand. Uh, let's expand where we have team members. And that's what we've done. And it's worked out really well so far. Yeah. Well, it is. And I know you've been in the industry long enough to know all this history. When you think back to the 90s and the early 2000s, when the reason to have talent technology centers in India was more about cost and that, you know, around the sun delivery kind of thing. It was a lot more emphasis, it seems like, on the cost savings of it. Today, when I talk to CIOs, I hear a lot more about the, the number of skills and the level of talents that are more findable there. Uh, do you think, uh, and so it, this is an industry pendulum swinging back and forth in many ways, but it seems to be swinging into different areas. Um, I, now I'm just saying stuff. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> no, you're spot on. Uh, you're 100% correct with how you're interpreting what, you know, what other CIOs are telling you. Yeah. You know, the other thing I failed to mention, the other uh, value proposition that we see, there is a ton of investment and a ton of innovation. Yes. Uh, there are hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of startups that are in the uh, Indian marketplaces. Mm -hmm. um, and so it also allows us to get exposed to other innovation, not just North America innovation or European innovation, but also innovation that's coming out of India. And there's a lot of investment mm -hmm. going on in that in, in that area of innovation in, in the, in the uh, Indian landscape. So, you know, maybe it's an opportunity for us to discover some innovation that's going on that we might be able to bring and implement in our landscape as a competitive yeah. differentiation 
before others that may not be in that market uh, have a chance to uh, get, you know, get access to that technology. Okay. Do you have, um, I have a couple questions about that. One is, do you have any currently operating example of that, you know, that whole exploration and that idea paying off? Or is, are you still in a more of an exploratory phase? Uh, I would say we're kind of halfway in between both. We actually um, have identified a couple of different companies that we're talking with on capabilities that they have mm-hmm. um, and uh, doing some comparative analysis on how they do digital grocery versus how we do it. Okay. Um, and then uh, looking to see how we potentially might be able to collaborate at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, we're, we're doing it, it. The bulk of time right now is still in discovery, but we do yeah. have a couple of companies that we've identified that we have an interest in having deeper discussion with in terms of ideation, sharing, et cetera. Okay. And this is not, I think from what you told me previously, this is not just about technologies. You're looking at different business operations and other areas of the business, uh, the supply chain, the merchandising. Uh, so I'm curious, how do you go about it? What is there a governance committee that keeps track of this stuff? I mean, it's, I guess it's sort of your innovation efforts. Um, how does that run inside of Giant Eagle? Yeah, that's, uh, we'll cover uh, the second half of that question. Uh, we first, we have an innovation uh, team within Giant Eagle that sits within our business area, but then we have a group of technology folks that work very, very closely with those uh, business innovation team members so that as we go through a process of identifying of ideation, identify possible opportunities for innovation, and then wanting to uh, and then do some uh, you know financial modeling um, and feasibility assessment as to the applicability, the ability of those solutions to work in a real world production environment. Once we whittle down and identify what we might want to test in a real world uh, situation, we'll take those solutions and we'll put them in a, a simulation lab uh, that is a physical lab, but it simulates what you know a couple aisles in a store might look like. And then we'll do uh, some simulation there. And then at some point for those ideas that uh, kind of pass that set of uh, gates, we'll then take uh, those particular innovations and we'll put them into a, an innovation store that we have, which is a real world working store with real world customers and real world team members. And you get a chance to test something in the in what I'll say is is not a simulated world or it's not a you know, it's not a paper exercise. It's the real world with team members and customers and, you know, transactions happening. Yeah. Um, so uh, that has that has proved to be very successful. And we have uh, one solution that we're now in process of moving uh, into the world, real world in our convenience store business with electronic shelf labels. Um, uh, and uh, we have a couple of other innovations that we're now testing in some stores, mm-hmm. uh, things that are uh, basically uh, unattended uh, customer experience where you can walk in, pick something up and maybe walk out without, you know, having to uh, wait in a front end line, et cetera. So, and then we have other uh, innovations that we're still testing in a lab. Um, as it relates back to the GCC, yes, we do. It's not just a technology hub, although we started um in the first year was really all about you know technology positions um 
being hired and trained and utilized out of Bangalore. We subsequently have finance positions, we have merchandising positions, and we also have HR positions that are also in Bangalore. So it's a, I'll say a multi-purpose or a multi-function global yep. capability center in Bangalore that we now have. It's not just technology. Right. Um, I can remember too, a lot of the articles, and this would probably be a year or two or more ago, were about a lot of the tremendous, because of all the opportunity in India, tremendous turnover in the positions that you have. How do you how do you stay uh, competitively uh, ahead of the pack in terms of being able to keep the talent that you have? Because uh, you know, you, uh, names like Google and Amazon and even Kroger are big all around the world. Giant Eagle is more of a regional gem, I think, as you called it. So that's right. How, how do you how do you keep this talent once you get it into the system? Yeah, look, I think it's. Um... It's a great, first of all, it's a great question and it's a, it's a very astute observation. Uh, look, just like in the, in North America and Europe, there is a war for talent that's going on. There's a lot of competition for the top notch resources. Uh, and the same is happening in India as well. Sure. Um, one of the things that we do, <clears throat> we do, we do a lot of work around during the recruiting cycle. Mm -hmm. spending time uh, across many different levels of the organization with potential recruits. Okay. Uh, periodically, I will join uh, a group of recruits in the technology space and I will talk to them about what's our vision, what's our strategy in the technology space for Giant Eagle as an enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, ask questions about, you know, wh what are they up to? What are they doing? Why are they thinking about Giant Eagle? Uh, and then trying to give them a real personal sense of what it's like to be a team member at Giant Eagle. Okay. Uh, once we do attract and retain um, a team member uh, to to join Giant Eagle, um, you know, we spend a lot of time doing very, very frequent communication. We do a lot of empowerment, not just for team members in India, but for, in the, but for the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. um, first and most important, we we've painted a consistent vision and a strategic vision okay. on how we're going to go about delivering our solutions throughout the course of the next two to uh, four years. So we all, whether whether we sit in Bangalore, or we sit in Cincinnati, or we sit in Pittsburgh, the mm -hmm. technology group has a very clear picture of what is the vision that the technology team is trying to accomplish. Okay. How does that vision ladder up to our business vision? Yeah. Um, and then what is the strategic roadmap with specific initiatives by time frame that okay. we're going to deliver to meet our technology vision and mm -hmm. which supports our business vision. So having that clear consistency of understanding and being able to have team members all around the world have that consistency is very important. And then, uh, you know, making sure that we have enabled our team members in India to not just do, I'll say, support work. We mm -hmm. want them to be doing mission critical work. Oh, They're incredibly okay. talented folks. So it's not just a, it's not an outsourcing arrangement where it's, hey, we want you to do the support. All the new delivery is going to happen in North America. That's not the way, that's not the way it works. We are, we have uh, key parts of our ERP initiatives. We have mm -hmm. key parts of our supply chain initiatives, our loyalty initiatives, and I can keep going down the line wow. that are being delivered out of Bangalore, just like they're being delivered out of North America. So making sure that the work is incredibly meaningful, yes. uh, making sure that there's a clear, consistent understanding and vision globally, 
and making sure that team members, regardless of where they sit, feel empowered and they get visibility with senior leaders. Uh, so for instance, myself and the CFO and our chief human resources officer um, and our CEO uh, went over to Bangalore and spent uh, a full week uh, in the November timeframe. And we'll be doing those trips uh, at the senior level um, probably every six months. Mm -hmm. And then we have team members from Bangalore spending time in U.S., U U.S. Uh, VPs and directors spending time in Bangalore. So it's really giving a lot of visibility, doing really good work, having an opportunity to uh, contribute to the development of the strategy. Let's hear your mm -hmm. thought. Yeah. And it's so far, it's working really, really well. Our um our ability to <clears throat> attract talent and our ability to retain talent um, is really, really, uh, really doing well compared to what the averages are in India. So we're, we're so far, we're doing really well. All right. So far, good. Yep. So knock on wood and all that. That's um, right. <laughs> now, you have been in grocery retail and in healthcare networks and in other businesses even before that. Have you ever worked this way before? Is this all, I mean, when you, as you're describing it, it sounds like it might be as new and exciting for you as it is for some of the people involved. Is this, the, is any of this old hat for you or is this new? Uh, well, in some previous lives, I've worked in a outsourcing situation. Yeah. Um, and certainly there, there are certain scenarios where outsourcing works really, really well. Mm -hmm. But for this type of situation where we're really trying to create an intimate experience with people that are highly committed to what we're trying to do at Giant Eagle, um, we thought a global capability center with those folks uh, in India being our team members mm -hmm. was a better way to go. They have a deeper commitment. They have a deeper passion for the enterprise. Uh, and that's not to say anything negative about outsourcing arrangements, but so I've, I've experienced outsourcing arrangements. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as a global capability center, there was a one company that I worked uh, with a global capability center in my past yeah. and it worked out really well. So I'd had a little bit of experience, yeah. but that had been, that had been quite a quite earlier in my career. Uh, and yeah. so technologies were probably a little different. <laughs> they were a lot different. Yeah. And certainly the, the collaboration yeah. technologies were not as mature as they are today. Mm-hmm. That's that. Well, that's awesome. One of the um, things that we talked about earlier, we were talking about your executive team and uh, some of the things, sort of the lasting changes that are staying with you as we're all adapting to this new, I'd like to call it a post-pandemic world, but it, we're not quite post yet. It's more like we're just after pandemic world um, about the decision-making capabilities and how they have they themselves have become more agile and easier to do faster. Talk about that, about how, you know, a, a company that was probably more traditional before is now just moving faster when it comes to decision-making. Yeah, and I would say, <clears throat> I'm gonna guess that many of your listeners would say that this is probably true for their organizations as well. Look, at the end of the day, <clears throat> when the pandemic certainly started to accelerate, um, you know, we had to make sure that we had product to put on shelves. It was a competitive differentiator. We wanted to make sure that we had product on shelves, whether or not our competitors did, mm -hmm. because we wanted customers to know that they could depend on us to have the um, the food, the nutrition, the over-the-counter medications, behind-the-counter medications, mm -hmm. fuel. We had the goods and services that they needed during times of scarcity. 
Um, and so uh, we worked really, really hard to be really good at that. We had to also make sure simultaneously that we were taking care of those folks that I would call heroes that were our team members in stores and supply chain areas uh, that were on the front lines. And they, you know, they were working in an environment where everybody was learning about how to create a safe environment. Um, and so uh, it, you look, it causes you to get very crystal clear about what is important to focus on mm -hmm. and what might not be immediately important to focus on. Okay. And so, you know, you, you typically have during a year, you have a spate of initiatives. You've got a, a huge list of initiatives, some of which have immediacy, immediacy mm -hmm. some of which don't, but you still may be spending time on some of those that don't have immediacy. You get very crystal clear in a time uh, like the pandemic when you are doing everything you can to get product on shelf, make sure that your pricing is right. Make sure that you're serving the customers, the customers feel safe. You're changing the hours of operation, making yeah. sure your team members feel safe. And so it caused us to get really crystal clear on the priority of things to focus on in the right time. Okay. And that has actually been a wonderful thing for our enterprise because we have maintained um, that focus. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think when things are kind of clicking along and are going well, but you don't have that um there's no that, burning uh, platform. Yeah, you don't have a burning platform. The boats aren't on fire, right? You can right. always go back. It it was it's been really good, I think, for us uh, as a as a as an enterprise because it's really crystallized our vision why we're here. We got to see how important our business was to our customers. Yes, you know, you got to watch customers customers rallied around um, their neighborhood grocery store. Yes. Uh, or their neighborhood convenience store, neighborhood fuel center. And you really saw how important what we deliver is mm -hmm. to the community. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that inspired the whole organization. It certainly inspired, you know, the heroes that worked in uh, the stores and the heroes that worked in the distribution centers and those, you know, in the administrative positions that uh, support those frontline workers. So it, it gave us clarity of purpose. And it, and it helped us understand what's really important to work on. So uh, I think it was good yeah. for us. Um, well, going into 2023, and I, I completely agree with you. I think all of us are just much more conscious of supporting local businesses. You know, some of them, some of them had to close for a while during the, the early stages of the pandemic. And then once they opened again, I, you know, we're just, we're kind of, we're kind of all about that because mm -hmm. the alternative is seeing a lot of empty storefronts and mm -hmm. things that just don't look like they're good for life here, you know. And That's um, right. but going into 2023, what are uh, what are some of those uh, leading pieces of your technology vision that you'll be rolling out this year? What can you what can you tell us about your plans for this coming year? Well, I think certainly continued uh, continued implementation, successful implementation of uh, the Oracle ERP initiative, acceleration of our loyalty implementation that I mentioned, we're about halfway through, first half's done. Mm -hmm. uh, continued acceleration of our digital properties and digital capabilities that we're offering to customers. You know, I think we need to continue to make sure that uh, the way that people interact with us digitally is continuing to eliminate friction for for mom mm -hmm. um, as she interacts with the grocery store and i think there's you know i think having a 
having a digital presence and being able to buy online has kind of become commodities. So now what are things that we can do yeah. uh, to uh, help mom do that in a more expeditious and less friction filled uh, way? Yeah. Uh, certainly we want to make sure that we continue to, uh, we've got a, a several initiatives within our pharmacy space as we branch out into other areas of, I'll say, non-traditional pharmacy. Uh, you know, we have an analytics center. The wellness, I was thinking of the wellness industry has become huge now. That's exactly right. Look, when I was at Christ Hospital, you know, the whole industry is trying to figure out how to move from sick care to well care. Yeah. Because the payers realize and the government realizes it's more cost effective to try and administer well care as opposed to sick care. So the more people that you can keep well and healthy, Mm-hmm. more cost effective it is for the for each of those enterprises and for the country as a whole yeah um you know certainly one thing I, I neglected to mention but it's incredibly important uh and it was very important as we uh worked throughout the pandemic and continues to gain in importance is our ability to effectively manage our data and okay. to create an analytics platform that allows us to have insights into the stories that the data is telling Okay. And and revealing those stories to our decision makers across different functions in our business so that we give them a little bit more opportunity to peer around the corner as to how trends are evolving in their particular area of the business so that they can either do a course correction or they can accelerate in a particular area, whether that's, uh, you know, in growth of a category of sales or whether it's driving some efficiency in terms of you know, our supply chain. So that analytics platform uh, is growing uh, in importance consistently. Okay. We also uh, work to do, you know, certainly we, there was a lot of pressure during the pandemic that was put on collaboration capabilities and tools. Yes. Uh, and then the advent, you know, with us having a global capability center. So we continue to uh, investigate and uh, determine what are the best uh, advancing collaboration capabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're doing a lot of things as it relates to team member tools. Okay. How do we how do we really um, give them the information that they need to serve the customers that are coming into the stores uh, and to create the best experience for customers and stores by preparing our associates uh, and have, for them to have the information about the store, about products, about promotions yep. that they need. So the um, the data and analytics, the steady progress that you've been um, that you mentioned. Can you give us like a, an example? You knew this was coming. I'm always looking for examples and for instances. What's a real world story that you tell maybe your business partners or you talk about with your CIO peers that kind of illustrates a before and after of what data, the, the differences in how you're approaching data analytics now, what it's done for the for the company? Yeah, well, the first thing uh, that we've done is we're, we've, we've stood up a master data management uh, capability and we're cleansing sets of data, customer data, item data, pricing information, et cetera, going through chunks of cleansing data, getting that into kind of a system of record repository so that we don't have a situation. And what's that, what that's resulted in is uh, we no longer have people that get in a meeting and they have different reports around the same topical area and, and one report says something different than another. And then they spend time arguing with because we did, because you didn't have a master system of record for that particular data object or set of data objects. So that's one thing. The other thing now we're doing is we're giving people uh, introspection into uh, 
various sets of data, the way the, the business operates so that they don't have to take one set of data that says, well, this is how items are moving through a store. This is how the margin is on each of those items that moves through a store. This is the supply chain information related to those items in a store. The way the business runs is you have to look at all of those sets of information together to make a collective uh, understanding. Do you have the right product in the right location at the right price, creating the right margin? And so putting data objects together the way that the business runs mm -hmm. has been very impactful for our business partners to better understand item and product margin how are products moving through a particular store? Do we have the right products in the right store to match the taste and preferences of that local community? So those are a couple of examples. When you describe it that way, it almost sounds like you're looking at something in a 3D model rather than just the flat 2D. You That's know, a great way to think. That's a great way to think something. About. It's almost like you've got one of those. It makes me think of Star Trek when they used to have, you know, the person appears in your hand, right? <laughs> I used Richard, to play you're right. I used to torment the various, you know, technology vendors that would come into Computer World or CIO Magazine when I was editor there, and they would want to talk their way through all the marvels of a given technology. But I always kind of came back to, well, I, I like the Star Trek version where you go up to the replicator, and I wish grocery stores could do this, where you just say, Earl Grey tea hot, and then it appears in a machine. So yeah, look, if we could be, if we could be the the uh food company that could create and distribute and sell replicators. Oh, I'm telling we, you. We, we would grow really, really fast. That well, would be awesome. You probably, you probably wouldn't be just a food company anymore, right? Exactly right. <laughs> now, I wanted to uh, circle back to something that you said to me earlier as we were prepping for this about um, the, the things that fascinate you and you find so inspiring about working with younger generation folks, you know, people both in the U.S. and in the uh, and in India, you talked about that spirit of entrepreneurism that you really detect in the younger people you work with. Talk a little bit about that and also how you take advantage of it. Yeah, look, I'm a firm believer for a team to be healthy, you need folks across the spectrum of experience. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it creates an opportunity um, to drive uh, the best solution to particular challenges. Mm -hmm. You know, as we as we have uh, and continue to ramp up our interaction with um, organizations, universities, if you will, internships, co-ops, hiring people uh, relatively fresh out of school, one of the things that always fascinates me is they ask the question why a lot. And uh, I, I think that's an awesome thing, right? Because they're challenging kind of the status quo. Well, why do you configure your network like this? Why do you yeah. uh, run your application like this? Why don't you have more things in the cloud? Why don't you? Do and I think it yeah. causes people uh, to make sure that we don't get comfortable uh, that just because something has always been a given way that it has to stay that way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think that's actually a wonderful thing. You know, I, I'm trying to think uh, what the right statistic is, and I'm probably not, I'm directionally correct, but not 100% accurate. I think somewhere between 60 to 65% of the population of India is under the age of 35. Wow. Yeah, um, young so it, it's mm -hmm. a whole new, and I think even, even younger folks coming out of school in the U.S. are very entrepreneurial. They've been raised to think that they can accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. um, and 
they believe that. Yeah. And uh, they're very entrepreneurial. Um, they're very curious. They want to ask the question why. And I think that's good to, to, that an organization, no matter how mature it is, continues to ask itself why. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's been very refreshing for our organization. And it's been a very nice addition to the tapestry of experience that we have across our enterprise. And it's helped yeah. us drive um, better design solutions. Mm-hmm. Well, that it reminds me of the first time uh, some years ago that I heard about Simon Sinek's approach, the five whys. Yep. And how you can use that to figure out what's wrong with, you know, you run out of gas on the highway. Well, why did you run out of gas? And then, oh, and you, why, why did you do this? And, why, and you get back to, you know, at some point, it's usually human error. You know, I should have planned better. But uh, the idea of drilling into things with the five whys, I thought that was a very clever mm-hmm. approach to things. Um Let's talk about, before I get into my final question here, I want to talk about emerging tech trends. You mentioned the idea of uh, electronic signage on the store shelves in your convenience stores. Um, What are some of the technologies that you're watching with great interest? Not just like, oh, isn't that cool? Oh, it's a replicator. But, um, But taking a look at it and thinking, I can really see a use for that. Maybe not now, but maybe in three to five years. What are some of those things that that just sort of leap out to you? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that I have a high degree of interest in, and I think we're pretty curious about in our organization, is the is augmented reality, and then and then virtual reality maybe a little bit farther out, but augmented reality. How can you? You know, I think uh, something like 90 to 95 percent of business uh, for grocers occurs in a store setting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's around 90 really? percent. Um, that obviously I would have thought that's pretty good. Yeah. That obviously implies that um, there's a lot of experience, and a lot of opportunity to, you know, to continue to enrich the experience. So how do you mm-hmm. animate inanimate objects in a store? to create a deeply immersive experience for customers as they come into that store experience. And and how do you make sure that it's a bit seamless with the virtual digital experience that they have with you outside of the store? So I think that ability to uh, bring additional information about product on shelf to life, Mm -hmm. there's an additional set of uh, promotional information on this. I can tell you, uh, you know, where was the source from? How long has this item been on shelf? Uh, what are some things that you can do with this product that you may not know about? So that ability to augment reality, yeah. um, I think is um, I think is quite interesting to me. I think alongside of that, um, you know, I don't I don't know that I'm interested in walking around the store with my iPad up all the time so I can see that much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking it could get a little noisy, couldn't it? <laughs> but I do I do think once uh, once we figure out ways to whether it's with contact lenses that can see that virtual reality or glasses uh-huh. that can see that virtual reality, I think, and and you can make it a hands free experience. Yes. I, I think there's something to that. I, I'm really interested in the augmented reality. And now I think certainly the virtual reality is interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I don't think you should you should focus on one without the other. So those yeah. would be a couple of areas that I think are highly interesting for us. Well, and let's level that up just a little bit more to the metaverse. 
I've had one of my uh, good friends is a uh, really well-known retail whisperer. She's got she's got a network of incredible retail uh, company operators in all sorts of other industries. And mm-hmm. just a few months ago, she said that if you're a retailer of any sort and you don't already have a footprint somewhere in the metaverse, then the storefronts are going fast that you're losing out. And I'm, I don't know, that might be just leading edge, but what do you think about that? Oh, look, I think uh, I think there's something to be said for that. You know, I don't know if it's black and white as to say all stores will disappear and everything will be in the, in the metaverse. Look, I think people um, are very tied to seeing, uh, at least from a grocery store perspective, they want to see and touch and feel uh, perishable a lot product. Said, a lot to be said for tactile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so, uh, you know, now a can of corn, probably not that important. A can of corn is a can of corn, but boy, your perishables, it's really, really important that you have the tactile experience, uh, yeah. the colors, the smells, the richness, walking through a bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I, I think at least in our industry, I think it's maybe somewhat of a combination of both. Okay. Um, but but I do agree. I, I think, you know, you have to be thinking, that's what I meant by uh, totally virtual reality was a metaverse type experience. Yeah. And I, I think you have to be thinking about both of, of augmented reality and virtual reality to figure out what's the right application for your particular industry. Okay. All right. Interesting. Well, that leads me to my final wrap-up question. You've been you've been so patient and good to stick with me all this time. Um, what have you learned about your own leadership style during this challenging last couple of years? And uh, it's not a new industry to you. It's a return to an industry you spent 13 years in at Kroger, but it's probably been a very different experience as well. So what has that taught you as a leadership? And what are the sort of unexpected benefits that you think you've reaped from that? Yeah, you know, I was always big when we when we typically worked in an office location, I was always big about doing a little bit of leadership by walking around pretty frequently mm-hmm. and yeah, stopping by people's cubes and kind of being informal. And, and I, you know, I guess you kind of take that for granted a little bit. And I, I, re- I realized uh, when, as we got into the virtual world, just how important it is for that frequency of communication uh, even though you can't do it in person. Um, but boy, it's still important to do it very, very frequently. So I do virtual skip levels. I do, uh, I meet with those that I work with directly three times a week. I meet with the whole leadership team once a week. Uh, I meet with the whole enterprise uh, group once every three weeks. Uh, I'm asking, I make sure that uh, I do one-on-ones with those I work with directly. Uh, I do quarterly one-on-ones with those I work with indirectly. So just that frequency of communication and how important it is yeah. uh, for those that you work with to be noticed, to be recognized, to be listened to. And then uh, the whole experience with our Global Capability Center has just reinforced that, you know, as we as we go about, you know, some of the things I talked about, how we recruit, how we retain, just very, very important for people to have their ideas heard, contribute to the development of the strategy. And so it becomes their strategy, not my strategy. And boy, there's so much power in it being our strategy as opposed to my strategy. People yeah. buy in and they they get energized when they have a chance to contribute like that. Well, and for people too to realize for your employees and, and your technology folks, 
to realize that something they said landed and made a difference. Um, I, as long as I've talked with CIOs, and we're talking a few decades now, um, they've always been very aware of the value of communication. But mm-hmm. it's it's today, I think I'd insert the word intentional in front of that. I think it's the That's intentional exactly right. communication. It's the following up. It's not just one of those checklist items. Oh, it's important to communicate as a leader. And I think a lot of that traces back to, I know you are a great proponent of servant leadership, where mm-hmm. you're basically, you're there to help your people all do well. Um, and that have you, uh, how long have you been a devotee of being a servant leader? Is this something that goes way back for you? <laughs> yeah, it does. Look, I've been very, very lucky. I've worked for some great organizations and I've had some um, great folks that have given me feedback and coaching throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm always amazed uh, when uh, big audacious goals uh, get put in front of a team or a whole organization. Mm-hmm. How if you can get the team rowing in one direction and then you empower them and then you support them. Uh, most every single time I've seen people accomplish amazing things and teams accomplish incredible objectives. Uh, just by having uh, somebody, uh, a leader that will empower them, enable them and help them knock down barriers. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that's really, you know, certainly made an impression upon me. And, and I've seen it pay, I've seen it uh, pay dividends time and time and time again. And so it's not just a theory, it's a reality. And it's, uh, it's very, very good for the organization. A team that is truly a team uh, can do incredible things. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and a team with someone who's really all in on that servant leadership kind of approach to this, I think really helps a lot too. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a great conversation as, as I knew it would from having talked to you previously, but thank you for joining us today and spending this time with us. Great, thank you. If you joined us here late today for this marvelous conversation, don't worry. You can watch the full episode later here today right on LinkedIn, but you can also find it on CIO.com and on our special CIO channel on YouTube. CIO Leadership Live is also available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I do hope you enjoyed and learned from today's conversation with CIO Kirk Ball of Giant Eagle as much as I did. And I look forward to having you join us again. I'll be back in two weeks on January 25th, again at noon Eastern with CIO John McCaffrey of H2M Architects and Engineers. Thanks again for joining us today and do take a moment to subscribe to CIO's YouTube channel where you can find all of the previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live, which including my talk with Kirk today, we are at number 99. So next time when you join us on the 25th, we will be hitting that 100 mark. And I'm not actually sure what that even means in the world of all the numbers we deal with, but it sounds like a real milestone. Stay well, enjoy yourselves, and we will see you here again next time. Thanks.